Hello, and welcome to Marathon Swim Stories, where we connect with marathon swimmers around the world to find out how they got started, what makes them tick, and why they keep going. It's where we explore the human side of the superhuman feats of endurance swimmers, the connections that we have with each other, our support crew, and the waters we cross. If you've ever stood at the edge of a body of water and wondered what it would be like to swim to the other side, you're in good company. I'm Shannon Keegan, marathon swimmer, water relationship coach, and founder of Intrepid Water, where I virtually teach swimming freedom. Freedom to get started, shed the confines of the pool, or your preconceived notions of what's possible. Find out more at intrepidwater.com. Hello, Marathon Swim Story listeners. In today's episode, I talk with ice mermaid, Melissa Kegler. After an unremarkable English channel success, Melissa took stock of her triple crown and wondered what she really wanted from her swimming. This has led to a newfound appreciation for the pristine waters of the Pacific Northwest, the mountains, the old-growth forests, and the animals that live there. While Melissa doesn't feel the need to swim further than 20 miles, she's discovered various applications of her swimming skills, including hike-in swimming and ice swimming. We talk about how unique our marathon swim stories truly are. There really isn't one type of swimmer that takes on marathon swims. Her realization early on how important it is to have a coach and how continually pushing to swim further isn't for everyone. Be sure to check out MarathonSwimStories.com for pictures and more about Melissa, including a link to the Cascade PBS movie, Ice Mermaid, Cold Resolve, which brings us along on Melissa's inspiring journey to become the first American to complete a sanctioned 2.5-kilometer ice swim without a wetsuit. I hope you enjoy today's episode. I'm here today with Melissa Kegler, another Pacific Northwest person. I guess I feel I'm like barely in the Pacific Northwest because I'm literally 20 miles from the California border and California is not Pacific Northwest, but I feel like (laughs) we're both Pacific Northwest. (laughs) So tell me, Melissa, what's your swim story? My swim story. So I I feel like that's always like a a broad general question. Um, So my swim story I guess sometimes I I feel like it's a little different than other people's, but I find everybody has such unique swim stories. It's really hard to to quantify. You know, one person thinks theirs is unique and it turns out all of us have unique stories. And in that sense, they're all kind of similar. Um, But I, I grew up in Michigan and grew up, you know, in the lakes there, but I, I never knew open water was a thing. I didn't know open water for, you know, competitive sport was a thing. And in the grand scheme of swimmers, I started um, swimming competitively really late. Um, I started in in ninth grade as a, you know, a freshman activity to do. And I think the the misconception, especially with marathon swimmers, is that, oh, you're a marathon swimmer. You must have, you must have been swimming forever. You must have swum in college. You must be fast. And those are the three criteria I think everybody thinks of (laughs) when they think of marathon swimmers. And I started late. I knew how to swim because in Michigan, there's so many lakes. You know, you grow up swimming at the lake, but you grow up, you know, swimming to the 
the dock or something. That's a big deal to get out to the platform. And I remember when I was little, there was this one time I saw my first pike fish in the lake and it was just so big and it terrified me. And I swore I'm never swimming to that platform again, which was maybe what, a hundred yards away. But, you know, I, I grew up swimming. I, I tried so many other sports and I was terrible at all of them. And I said, well, I can swim. I'll just join the swim team and that'll be my my high school sport. I wasn't bad at the freestyle, but I don't think anybody would say I was good <laughs> per se. I was very on like the low end of average and I was good at breaststroke. And I went to college for business school afterwards and I went to a D3 school, so I, I had the ability to swim because I wasn't, you know, good enough for a D1 or D2 and maybe like a walk-on and breaststroke in D2. But I said, I'll go to a D3, the school I had always dreamed of. And my high school and club was so much better than college. I just got worse and worse every year. So I quit halfway through college. And because it is one of those things I would go home to club over the summer and I get faster and then I go to college and then I would just be horrible all over again. And it was so much stress. So I I just said, I don't want to do it anymore. So I I quit swimming in college and then I picked it up after college and master's because, you know, you gain a little weight between high school and college and and you need to drop it. So I, I swam more to stay in shape because it was something I could do. And after that, probably, I don't know, around 25 or something, I I moved to Virginia and kind of the same thing, you know, you're trying to figure out what you want to do athletic wise. And I didn't like going to the gym. I'm not a land activity person. So I did pool swimming and I tried to find a master's team I liked, but I think master's is always interesting because if you're not, if you're not as an adult, like a really competitive swimmer, you always find yourself between lanes. So you're always too slow for one lane, but you're too fast for the other. Nobody really wants you in your lane. And you always think it's just you. (laughs) It's just you and the whole group. But really, you find everybody ends up feeling that way. That So I, I just didn't have an enjoyable experience. So I swam by myself. And that's when I, I, my mom was in Michigan, my aunt was in Florida. And uh, my aunt in Florida was doing going to do a triathlon. It was a sprint triathlon, and she had um she had a knee injury or, or some sort of injury where she couldn't do it, and they wouldn't refund her money. So, but they allowed her to switch categories, and one of the options was to a relay. And so, I talked to my sister and my mom. Said, "Let's go down there for a girls' trip. It's going to be a great thing. Like I can swim." So I'll do swimming. And my sister, she's a better runner than I am. So she did the run and my aunt did the bike. And then my mom was, you know, land support cheerleader. And so that was my first experience at open water. I just thought, well, I can do it. I can do it in a pool. I can do it in the open, you know, (laughs) what you hear. And I got down there and I'd never seen a wetsuit before. I didn't even know really what wetsuits were. And because it was a triathlon, everybody was wearing wetsuits. And they look in shape. I mean, wetsuits Wetsuits are great. Like (laughs) wetsuits are so intimidating because they make you look athletic. So I got super intimidated and I was also intimidated by the sheer amount of people because I've never really been in an event. And I mean, 
I didn't do any research ahead of time. I just thought I'll just go swim. I think the quarter mile, like no problem. I can do that. And, um, I was convinced because it was in Florida, I was going to get eaten by an alligator. So I had that kind of hesitation too. So my strategy was I'll just eat a whole bunch before because I feel like that's a good idea. So I'm not hungry during the swim and I'll let everybody go and I'll just watch what they do (laughs) and I'll follow along and I'll finish. And so that's what I did. I started in the back of the pack. I think it was the only one I remember seeing without a wetsuit. And as I go, you realize that triathlon swimmers, you know, this is a generalization, but triathlon swimmers are different than swimmer swimmers. And, you know, you start passing some people when you're only 100 yards in and then all of a sudden you kind of gain, you gain confidence, but you also think, am I doing something wrong? I'm doing something wrong. I've still been there. People are supposed to be in shape, you know, they're, they're half my size and they look super fit and they're doing a triathlon. And so I just said, well, I'll just keep going around because I'm not going to win, obviously. So I'll just, I'll just follow people until I'm done. And then I got out in probably the top half of the pack Wow! and I was super proud of myself. And, um, that was kind of my first experience. And I thought, you know, I think I like this. I think I want to do it again. Um, but at the same time, sometimes even the worst experiences are fun when you're with family. So I wasn't really sure if I liked it. So there was my second experience. There, there was a guy that I was kind of sort of interested in dating. And he lived down in Virginia Beach. But it was far enough away where I didn't really want to put any effort into it. Because I <laughs> I wasn't really sure. But they had the Jack King Ocean Swim down there. And it was a mile swim. And I said, you know what, I'm going to go down to the swim and that'll give me an excuse to go on a date with the guy. And what ended up happening is I did the swim and that first year was a horrendous swim because um, the current or tide, whatever it was, switched last minute. So the whole thing was against the tide Mm. or against the current. And they didn't change course because they didn't really realize it had switched so soon. So the mile was, I think, like 56 minutes for the mile or something. It, it was the slowest mile in my life. But I had so much fun and I just enjoyed it so much. I ended up hanging out with the swimmers. I canceled on the guy <laughs> and went out with the swimmers to dinner and never, never pursued that. But ki- kind of the guy was the excuse and the catalyst right. to do something I found out I really I really enjoyed. And then that trip kind of became my, uh, my sister moved out to Virginia a few years after. And that came our annual sister trip to Virginia beach. I'd save up all my hotel points and that was our, you know, our free swim trip. And that really translated to, cause it, it was my first, you know, it was a mile event. And when you're a club, a mile is a punishment event. Right. Yeah, exactly. And that was the first time I had fun swimming that distance. So that gave me the motivation to really go to the pool, keep me in shape. I got a coach after that, just one of the, you know, one of the community pool swim lesson coaches, but I thought, well, he might be nice to chat with and just make sure I'm not getting sloppy. Mm -hmm. Wasn't, you know, an event coach, but it was nice because it was the first time I was actually coached in a while with somebody who, you know, I'm not the 12 year old swimmer that he's used to. So it's nice to kind of start building a coaching relationship again. I feel like that's, it's an interesting thing 
that I've observed just as a coach when I talk to swimmers is that not everyone you you made this statement like I didn't want to get sloppy, but how did you know that you might? Like how did you know that or that you lower that like that you needed a coach? I just have to dig into that for a minute. I don't that's a good question. I don't know. I think it's one of those you just once you've been coached, you kind of recognize that I think it's that just internal thing. I, I don't know how to describe it. You just have that gut feeling that I knew what I, maybe it's, I knew what I was when I was younger and because I'm slower now that maybe I think you kind of have this um, thought process of, it's not because I'm older. I mean, I'm sure it's because my, my technique is bad or something like that. And I think in, you know, in high school and college, you're coached so much on technique that if you're not fast or if you're not getting better, it's because your technique is bad. So I think it's maybe just like an innate thing. Yeah, that's interesting though. Actually, you kind of highlight something there. I'm not sure that everyone is coached that much as much on technique. At least when I think back on my swimming, it was more like that was maybe an annual check-in or we're like we did drills at the beginning of practice. But there was, I don't know that I ever got really good technique coaching. I remember taking WSI class and the and the <laughs> and the teacher like to teach swim lessons. And I'd been co- I've been swimming for probably six, seven, eight years. And the coach, the the teacher of the WSI class being like, Shannon, you're so, your arms are so long. Like, why don't you use your length when you're swimming? And like, I learned, all, I learned how to swim like better at 17 than I had in all my years of swimming. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I'm glad that you had the exposure to the fact that though, that the importance of technique. So yeah. that's all. We'll just leave that there. Take us back. <laughs> so my, in my high school and my club coach was very, very different. So my high school team, you know, it was back in the day, you, you're kind of, you're taught in general how to swim, but unless you're, you know, at the top tier, mm-hmm. you're, I think you're more coach. Let's get in the yards. Cause you're an important member of the team and you're gonna, you're going to score points for the team and you're going to make it. And that's about it. And then my, so it was just pounding out the yards in high school. And then my club coach. Um, and when I say club, my coach, after I graduated college. So my, my, I swam with the high school club team a different high school club team. And I, when I say masters, I was the only masters person trying to recruit other people. I I think I got two, but he, he was my first exposure to reduced yard training and focus on technique. And I think in that, that was just the first time, you know, you're not, sometimes you're not swimming 3000 yards in practice and you're doing two and it takes an hour but you're really focusing on things. So, and he was one of my favorite coaches. So I think, I don't know, maybe, maybe that's the reason I thought, I don't know, I should get a coach. Yeah. That's awesome. I just, that's awesome awareness that I think that more people should have. So I'm glad we're talking about this. (laughs) What is swim freedom? It's the freedom to start swimming when you don't think you have the skill, ability, or time, the freedom to swim with ease The freedom to enjoy your time in the water. The freedom to swim further than you ever thought possible. What's holding you back? Let's talk about it. Shannon at IntrepidWater.com So back to Virginia, I I got my 
my coach. And again, I wasn't the 12 year old and I was just kind of looking and seeing what other open water events. And there was this event up in Michigan, um, the Harbor Springs Coastal Crawl. And it was really cool because they had a one, two and three mile event. So I had this plan. I'm going to start with the one mile and then I'll the next year I'll do the two. And the year I was going to do um, the two mile, there were some or maybe it's a three mile. I don't know. There's a problem with the course. So I had to do a longer event and I was fine with that. And I got back down, you know, reporting back to my coach and my, my swim. And he casually said, so when are you going to swim the English channel? <laughs> and, and I think at that time, because again, I, I didn't grow up knowing open water was a thing. And I just started a couple years before I was so naive I, I honestly can't even say I knew what it was. I mean, I think you kind of know what it is because you generally hear about things, but it's kind of like somebody saying, you know, for the first time when you're going to go to Paris, Yeah. but you don't exactly know where Paris is. You don't know where <laughs> France is. You know, it was the beginning of a geography lesson. <laughs> so I kind of just thought about it and I said, oh, okay, that sounds like a good idea. <laughs> And that was really it. And it was just that one person asking that one question. And it kind of got the seed planted. Um, I got transferred to Seattle with work. And I, again, naively walked, you know, walked onto the deck of this pool where a whole bunch of triathletes are practicing. And they're just so in shape. You know, they have a very different body type. And so I was, I didn't want to swim with them because I just thought I wasn't good enough because they looked really in shape and fast. So I kind of lingered on the outside of the lanes for a bit. And then the coach eventually, you know, just said, you know, it was before work. So everybody was practicing together and, and he just said, nice swimming one day. And I thought, okay, this is the, I, I have to be polite. You know, I'm Michigan. I'm a Michigander. I have good Midwest values. I'll say, you know, I'll say, thank you, do a little chat and be on my way. And that was kind of the beginning of developing that coaching relationship. And he's still my coach to today. But explain to him, you know, what I was doing and I'm going to do the English channel. He happened to be from England. So he really knew wow. for real about it. Yeah. And I said, well, if you're going to do that, you should swim at Alki Beach and you need to talk to that guy in that lane. Oh, wow. His Randy and he swims at Alki and he's going to do it too. And I thought, oh. What's happening? Wow. Okay. So I, I think I need to, maybe I should put a plan together or something. <laughs> and, you know, just all these things, your first time, you don't know anything about. And at that time, nobody in the Pacific Northwest was really doing marathon swimming. Mm -hmm. So, and I didn't come from that world. So I didn't really have any mentors. I didn't know who, who to reach out to. Where I'm, I'm so thankful now in our community, we have, you know, people like myself and others and the words getting out and there's so many people you can reach out to. So Randy and I, we, we went to Alki Beach the first day and I remember going down the hill to the beach and I'd never seen the mountains before and the sun was out, snow was on the mountains, the water was like so calm and sparkly and I just thought, wow, this is, you know. I feel like I'm important <laughs> and I feel like this, this is going to be something special. And, you know, this is, this is a big deal to be here. And so I met a couple other swimmers that were, you know, just starting. Well, I would say just starting to dabble into marathon swimming, but um, 
Scott Lautman, who's a legend himself in marathon swimming, and then Andrew Malinak were the other two people at the beaches. And Andrew had done some marathon swims at that point, but he, you know, he hadn't done his big ones in the Pacific Northwest. So it was kind of just meeting those people. Randy and I were talking to them and, you know, we're starting to form our, our ideas about what we wanted to do in general with marathon swimming and specifically for me and Randy, the English channel. And um, it kind of just went for there, but still at that time, like social media still wasn't as popular or prevalent. So I didn't have the resources so many people do today. Cause that was what, I mean, it, it wasn't ages ago. It was only what, 2000, actually it was about like 10 years ago when I first started talking to people nine years ago. And, you know, social media, it, you feel like you're an old person saying this, but it just wasn't like it was now. And right. yeah. so we were talking to people, figuring out, and I didn't have any female mentors. I didn't know people in the community. So all the swimmers I met were going to events and meeting people at events. And sometimes I feel like because I didn't have a female mentor, I missed out on a lot of female specific training things that would have helped. You know, not that Andrew and Scott were were bad mentors. Of course they weren't. They they were wonderful, but you know, there's female specific issues and especially, you know, the moods going through taper combined with mm-hmm. the menstrual cycle during mm-hmm. taper. Am I getting extra cranky or how how do you manage training when you're feeling really bad? at that time of the month or how do just the hormonal changes affect female swimmers versus male swimmers. And I wish I had somebody to ask those questions. And now again, I'm just so thankful we do. Yeah. So, but that, that was kind of really the, the beginning of it. I, I developed a plan. So just to clarify, you went from two miles to I'm going to swim the English channel. <laughs> yes. Okay. Just wanted to be clear about that. Yes. So I I had a shoulder injury, though. It's a small labrum tear, which I still do. So I did, you know, I had a plan to do test swims before it. So my first test swim was an eight mile swim or maybe seven miles. I don't remember. um, In Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. And everybody said, oh, you're going to go swim Lake Geneva, meaning like the Switzerland. Yeah. So I, I thought people were really excited about this and knew about it. And when I came back from Wisconsin, they were asking me all these questions. And like, I don't think we're talking about this again. <laughs> I didn't know about Lake Geneva, Switzerland until after we figured it out. But I got through that one and I made it. And I thought, okay, well, if I can get through that one, then I can do Mercer Island was my longest training swim mm-hmm. before England. And it was that swim that Scott said, well, you know, if you're going to do the English channel, you should do Catalina as a training swim too. And if you do Catalina, you're only two way, or you're only one away from the triple crown. So you should just do that then. And I said, oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) It sounds like a good plan. (laughs) So that was kind of how I got into the triple crown. Um, And really it was just learning and, you know, mistakes and, going from there that led me into other swims, but it was really interesting because once I got through all those swims, you know, you learn everything. And by that time, social media groups were becoming more popular. And you see all these people doing these really big, long swims. And for me, it was kind of one of those, you see people doing, you know, 
doubles and triples and then eventually Sarah doing the quad and people always ask, you know, oh, you are you going to go longer? And it's like, no, I don't. It's great that they have those goals, but I don't want to swim really more than 20 miles. I think that's a good distance for me. And um, for me to mentally, if I know I can do a certain distance, it's kind of granted all conditions are, are different. But if I know I can do a certain distance, the distance appeal isn't there for me necessarily to do it then. Because I kind of think, okay, if I can do 20 miles here, I can do 20 miles anywhere. And, and mentally, that was interesting because it, knowing water conditions are different, but there's something about just swimming numbers wise and doing a triple or, or a double or whatever it is. Um, I just didn't feel like the challenge was there because I signed up for the North Channel because I thought that would be fun. But I thought, why do I want to do that? I mean, it's, I've already done the triple crown. That was a big goal. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, Manhattan was more of a check the box. Right. And if I didn't have the goal of the triple crown, I probably never would have done it. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I just didn't, New New York's not my thing in general. Everybody that said that swims like amazing. I didn't find it that amazing. It wasn't, I don't know, not, not my type of swim. (laughs) not my scenery. And then I, I canceled North channel because I thought, well, I mean, I know I can do the distance. What, what truly is the appeal of going to the North channel? I couldn't figure it out. Mm -hmm. So I decided to take a year off and just kind of do other things. And that's when the idea of, you know, I've never swum here in the Pacific Northwest. I've, I've crewed for so many people, but I've never done a swim at home. And that kind of transpired into what do I love about home? And I I love the seaweed. I love the animals. I love my relationship that I've developed specifically here with the ocean because I it's something I trust. It's something you know I can go in and I feel like I I understand what the water is saying and I feel like in some weird way the animals respect me as a person and as a swimmer entering into their body of water and they reward me for respecting their place and home. And I just, I said, I'm going to swim here. I love it here. And um, so I did the Amy Highland double because I thought it kind of be fun to do something a little bit more challenging. And even though it was time-wise, one of the shortest swims, it was, I worked so hard for that because it's right out of COVID. So you're dealing with, is the swim going to happen? Is it not going to happen? Because COVID keeps going back and out with restrictions. Right. The first swim I did in my hometown here in Seattle and is with all my friends. And, you know, I have the support of my, my hometown group here. And I had, I had the animals and, you know, just all these things I love about nature. And that kind of made me realize it's not, I'm not challenged by the distance necessarily. My excitement and joy when it comes to swimming is swimming in beautiful locations where I can have the connection to the water. So whether it's a a 2K swim, a 10K swim, or, you know, a 20 mile, I'm not going to do a 20 mile if I don't feel a connection to the place, which kind of stinks because there were a lot of swims early on. I thought it's really cool. I want to do those swims, but if I don't see an animal, I'm going to be disappointed at the end of the day, (laughs) regardless of, regardless of what it is. Take me back to um, just being this girl from Michigan who 
moves to Seattle, how do you develop the trust of the water? I can I I did Mercer Island twenty seventeen or eighteen, I can't remember. <laughs> and um I remember going to Alki Alki Beach and I don't even know if I got in other than my feet. Anyway, beautiful, like <laughs> awesome spot. I just I I see you guys as posts out there and I just, I want to go when there's people swimming there at some point in my life, but I want to know how you kind of developed a, that trust with the water and how you, you mm-hmm. know, learn to, yeah, just how you, you know, made that transition. First of all, I, I started out in a wetsuit. So that was, you know, that's something, you know, people don't necessarily know because I, I don't wear a wetsuit anymore, but when you wear the wetsuit, it was a wetsuit late fall. So the water wasn't, it was cold, but it wasn't super cold. And I think coming from Michigan, the concept of cold water was different for me because I've experienced cold water in Michigan. Um, but I think the it started because I was just so amazed with everything because I had never seen anything like that before. You know, I wasn't, we didn't, as a family, we didn't go on snorkeling trips or or if we did go, you know, our tropical vacation on the East Coast, we go to Orlando and the the East Coast beaches, you know, when you're going to tourist beaches or day beaches, you know, you're not you're not snorkeling. You're going and playing in the waves as kids. And so I didn't really know, you know, I, I've never seen what a starfish looked like before outside of an aquarium. And so all these all these things like seals and orcas and whales it was kind of these mythical creatures or things that you know exist in the wild, but kind of like when you see a tiger in the zoo and if you go for a safari for the first time, it's the same animal, but it's a different experience. And it's almost like you don't really believe they exist in the wild until you see it in the wild. So I got in the water and the water here is usually always clear or predominantly clear. And like I saw my first moon snail and I thought, Shannon, I discovered a new species <laughs> in the water. I remember getting out after seeing my first one go, you won't believe what I saw. There was this thing. It was a snail, but it had so much stuff outside of it and it had antennas and you you wouldn't believe it if you saw it. And they go, a moon snail? And I said, I don't know, but I'm sure it's something new. And it was like that. <laughs> for everything, you know, the first starfish I saw was just, it it was the most amazing thing I'd ever seen in my life. And the first sea pen I saw was the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life. And then the first time I saw a seal, the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life. And so I think coming from Michigan, not experiencing the ocean, not experiencing the mountains, not knowing what old growth forests look like, and just having a completely different environment, it was it was sensory overload in the most positive way. And I wanted to go in and learn about everything. And that's really important because it was kind of the first time in my life I wanted to learn about something um, because my my career path and in, in auditing, I didn't go to school for auditing. And my career path of where I am today was just kind of happenstance and kind of a, a weird run of luck with interviews, but it's not anything that I wanted to do per se. I just happen to land here. So when I find you don't want to do something or it's not, you know, in your 
this is never my career path. For me, it's really difficult to self-educate and learn. And I like my job. It's fine. I mean, I'm happy doing it. I find joy in it. But um, being in the IT audit space, when I start to talk to like developers and programmers that get really jazzed about coding, my mind is just whoosh. Yeah. <laughs> and then they always say, you know, if you want to progress your career, you should learn about, and I just go, do not say whatever you're going to say about, I don't know, IT stuff again. Yeah. So I, and I dabble or have to deal with that my whole career. So the fact that I was really excited to learn about something brand new was also something brand new. And that kind of, you know, gets you into asking questions about what it, what is a current? What is the tide? Because I didn't know about those things. And what are these animals? And how how do animals react in the water? How do they react to humans? If an animal does this, what does that mean? If the seaweed, you know, why does the seaweed point one way last week? And then why is it going the other way if the waves are coming into shore? Because that doesn't make sense why they're, you know, perpendicular to each other. So you kind of just learn all about this stuff. And over time through learning and observing because I, I love the animals and just really being patient and focusing on small changes just got me really excited and I know my dad growing up in Michigan my dad was a deer hunter so he we would always go out and one of our favorite activities together was to go you know drive around at night and and spot the deer in in the neighborhood or in the woods or go for walks and try and spot animals so he he taught me really young how to notice small changes in nature that indicate in animals there. And I feel like I'm able to use that in the water to notice small, you know, small differences. So mm-hmm. it's almost like something I did when I was l- younger translated to a joy I had when I was older. And that really grew the relationship. And after learning about all that stuff, you just, you just, I don't know, it's kind of like, well, a normal people relationship too. You learn about the person and then one day you realize, I trust this person. And then mm-hmm. you grow to liking that person and then you're growing to loving that person so much that whatever it does, you don't, you might not know why that person is doing something or why the ocean's doing something, but you have that gut feeling and you trust what it's telling you and you don't question it. Mm-hmm. So, but it, it's just been such a beautiful experience here. And that really got me into exploring other things like hiking, swimming. Um, it got me into ice swimming um, because I wanted to experience different parts of nature in different elements of swimming. And that kind of is what inspires me to, to just try different, try different things. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to swim a long swim again. Maybe, you know, maybe some more 20 milers at some point in time, but there's no doubles of anything in my future. I don't want to go back to the English Channel and do a solo again. <laughs> it's fine. I've done it once, and take us there for a minute. To where there weren't any like, animals. So no animals. Okay, no animals in the English Channel. So you're not going back. But um, what was it like trying to get through that swim? Yeah, the English Channel. Honestly, that one isn't a very exciting story because that one. Since it was always my first goal, I prepared, everything was a preparation for that swim. Mm-hmm. By the time I got there, literally it was just, you're going to swim until you're done. And I, I was fortunate enough that um, I got blown out of my window. 
but I had worked it out with work in in a more tactful way. I said, I'm going to stay there until I swim. So I'm not going to come back to work (laughs) until I get the opportunity to swim. And, but I, I started planning over a year in advance with them. So it's not like it was, you know, a surprise or anything. Um, I got blown out of my window, but because I planned, I, I went probably half a week later at a spot that came up, but it, it honestly was pretty uneventful. It was, um, the Pacific Northwest is great training because it's super cold. It's not going to be colder there than it is here. So the water is still cold. The conditions can get really nasty here. So they weren't any worse here than they were there. And I don't know. It was just like, it honestly, it was a very uneventful swim in the grand scheme of things. The end was a little interesting because they, you know, it it was in the dark. And I, in my mind, I always had the picture of I'm going to be finishing on beach during the day and people are going to be, you know, yay, yay, you finished or something. But it was in the dark in the middle of France, which has no light. And (laughs) and I couldn't tell where shore was. And when they say they have a spotlight to help guide you in, I pictured something other than a $10 flashlight from Home Depot. And because he kept saying, okay, you're about 500 yards from shore, go towards that tree. And I'm just Mm -hmm. thinking, what tree? I don't see a tree out there. You know, it's, I don't see anything. So I was swimming and I was counting my stroke rate and doing the math you know, being an otter, I was saying, okay, if my stroke rate is X amount per minute, my 500 time is like this time, then this amount of minutes time, this amount of strokes, plus a little fatigue. So I should be there. And, you know, however, however many strokes. So I was counting and sure did not come. (laughs) And there was a sandbar that I didn't know was a sandbar because I saw land and a little bioluminescence and I stood up and was all excited and then dropped off the other end of the sandbar. Like, great, <laughs> we're swimming. Um, but that part was a little dramatic just because it wasn't what I was expecting. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that was really, that was really about it. Anticlimactic. <laughs> yeah. And the, and the crew said it was pretty anticlimactic because it was, you know, we started at very leisurely 10 a.m. or something like that. And so we got up, got breakfast, had a great night's sleep. The swim was fine. I mean, it wasn't anything outside of the ordinary. And there's nobody cheering on the shore. <laughs> and that I think that's the only way I would go back because I kind of want to go back and experience a relay because I think it would be fun. Um, but there's still no guarantee that you're going to end during the day. But you see all the relays, like Patrice, he posts all the time, Armada's coming to France. And then you see all the pictures of, you know, daytime and cheering. And I kind of want that one time. So, <laughs> so but I, I wouldn't do it solo again. Um, I would say out of all of them, like Catalina was definitely the most, I don't know. I feel like all the swims were dramatic in their in their own way. Mm-hmm. The Amy Highland Double definitely had the most dramatic five minute ending of any swim that I've had. Yeah, but all the other ones, like Catalina, was just twelve hours of vomiting. Oh, so that wasn't <laughs> that was very exciting. I think that would be a really beautiful swim. Though I, I may consider doing that again. Um, but every time I say that, I think there's no guarantee I'm not going to puke and it's not going to be horrible swim again. 
Because yeah. I want to do it just because I feel like I missed out on all the fun mm. stuff. Dolphins. Mm. And yeah. There's no, there, again, there's no guarantee. And I don't really want to swim it if I can't see an animal. So <laughs> Animal locations. That's perfect. I'm sure there's lots of less than 20 mile animal locations, swims with animals out there. Yeah, but definitely the Amy Highland double, even though that was the shortest, like the the end to that one, I feel like that was the most dramatic end to any swim. And that was interesting too, because it's the first time somebody's gone back the other way. So there wasn't any data or information and it was all, I think it's interesting when you do a first of something, Mm -hmm. there's nobody to ask advice about there's nobody to ask well how was your swim how did this happen so everything was the best guess the way back you know you kind of think or at least I thought going back is going to be fairly similar to going this way and I know conditions outside of a certain area are one way and then going into a certain area another way so you think okay it's going to be kind of be the reverse route and it wasn't anything like what any of us (laughs) thought it was going to be and which was the point too. Yeah. Um, so that's when, because nobody had gone the other other way, I just thought it would be fun to explore. So that's when I went into going, okay, if I, if I fail on the way back and I DNF, I don't really care because I just don't really care because <laughs> nobody's done it. But then the current in that area is so strong. Um, we knew ahead of time, you know, nobody can outswim the current because the current in some parts are seven knots. Like, you, do, you just can't swim it. So if going back isn't the way we think it is, I'll fail anyway because can't outswim the current. And mm-hmm. considering it's only, you know, 10 miles, I'm, I'm not willing to swim six hours in place for, you know, a couple mile finish. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that was great too because it took the pressure off having to go back the other way when you don't really care about, it was more a swim of discovery versus I'm going to finish this thing. Um, and then I also use that opportunity because, you know, marathon swimming is, is picking up everywhere, of course, but there's a lot of people who wanted to learn how to observe, how to accrue. Mm-hmm. And I, I was super, you know, I'm super confident in these waters. And I said, I'm going to pick two crew members, um, one that I've crewed for many times, but she's never crewed. So she has like a little understanding of it. And then the second person, just a random person, you know, well, not a random person, a friend. But the point is neither of them have crewed before. So I really wanted to use that as an opportunity to teach them how to crew and, you know, teach them what it's like to crew on a swim that's over, you know, four or five hours. Mm-hmm. And the observer and then Andrew was the pilot. So we had, you know, we had backups if they really, you know, kind of lost their lost their stuff. But it was really fun to to have that swim be at home be a new route, you know, celebration of just discovery, the Puget Sound, and then also use it as a teaching, teaching opportunity to give people experience that specifically don't have experience. Cause I, I tell my swimmers do not choose new crew. You need to have an experienced person there. So to have the confidence to do something, to give somebody else the experience of learning, Mm -hmm. I think was just, I mean, it didn't matter if I made it or not. Right. Um, so it was just fun to, to give that to people. Yeah, totally. Probably last question here. What do you think it is that inspires us as humans and swimmers to, to like, why is it that we're, are we always trying to find new, new things, new routes, new, new places? What do you, do you have any thoughts about what, the, what that drive comes from? 
I mean, I think it's the general answer would be learning and an increase of awareness and knowledge. But I think, you know, it, it varies for person. Like I I've heard Sarah, not Sarah Thomas say, but I, I've heard Sarah say a couple of times, she's, she's curious what she's capable of with distance. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't have any desire to do that. That's great. She's doing things four times. Mm-hmm. That's great. She wants to go well over 20 miles. <laughs> not for me, but the core of it is she, she's curious about learning about herself and her body and how far she can go. Mm-hmm. Um, I know with some ice swimmers, you know, that are pushing boundaries, they're, you know, they're curious and they want to learn how far myself included, how far their body can go when it comes to cold tolerance and and what happens at temperatures that low. And for me, a marathon swimming, it's, um, it's really, I wouldn't say change. I feel like I found my way into, I, I want to learn more about the ocean and I want to learn more about the marine life. And I, I want to learn more about, um, you know, my next swim that I'm, I'm planning probably a couple years from now is I want to do the North shore of the Pacific Northwest. Um, I don't want to go across the Strait of Juan de Fuca, but I want to parallel it because I, I love the land and I love the area and I want to explore and learn about the history of that area and some of the, you know, the native tribal importance of the area. And I think what better way to honor that and learn than find a route that maybe they can, you know, they can support and they can teach me about big landmarks and and why the ocean is important to them. So I think it comes just down to when people find something they're really interested in, just like when my IT people get really excited about coding. (laughs) They want to learn about it. I think this is just, you know, when you find that thing that really excites you, you're not you're not afraid to learn. And I think that's important too. Um, you know, there's definitely things I'm afraid to learn because I don't think I'm smart enough mm. to understand it. Or or maybe not smart enough isn't the right word, but I just don't think I have the the mental capacity to understand it where I could ever be proficient in mm. telling somebody about it in part because I don't care because I don't have that passion either. So I rather put all my effort into something I'm really excited about so I can be proficient and give back to others um, and teach others who are excited too and help them learn and help them discover what their thing is. So I think that's probably what it is just in, in maybe, I don't know, maybe giving back is the answer, but I think that goes back to learning too. It does. Yeah. Maybe it's, you know, maybe the learning is the more I think about it and learn more about here, maybe it goes hand in hand with sharing and storytelling too. I mean, we grow up as kids learning that how you keep culture is sharing stories, but you can't share stories if you can't learn. So I don't know, maybe that's part of it. I love it. Yeah, no, it's all connected. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing your story, Melissa. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you were inspired by even just a moment of this story, please share it with a friend. You never know what might push someone out of their comfort zone so that they can find out what they're capable of. And please leave a review with your podcast provider. It truly helps others discover the raw and honest stories of these amazing endurance swimmers. Thanks for listening. 